We've been talking, including today, for four weeks on God's grace. This sermon series is called The Excellent the excellence of grace. And we started uh, three Sundays ago, we started with God is gracious. Like it is, it is, it is the, the character of God to be gracious, the grace of our God. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the grace of salvation, that God in his kindness towards us has extended to us salvation through faith in Christ. And then last week, we talked about the grace of holiness, that salvation isn't the end of the story, but it's just a piece of the story. And that the grace that God gives us for salvation, he also gives us for life. Like uh, we can, you are holy, not because of what you've done or not done or failed to do. You are holy because of the grace of God upon you, because you partake in Christ's holiness, because you share in Christ's righteousness. And, and so today we are talking, so the excellence of grace in our series, our sermon today is called The Grace for Today. I think, uh, I, I think that too often, like Micah was saying, you know, that uh, we we do make it as, almost as though God doesn't care about the details of our life. He doesn't care about the day-to-day. And, and sometimes you hear that in sermons like that uh, it's not wrong to talk about eternity. It's not wrong to talk about what comes next. It's not wrong to talk about th- this earth being made new and standing before God and all people uh, are, are clothed in righteousness. Like that's, There's nothing wrong with that, but, but we also need grace today. We, we need God's grace and mercy right now in this moment, and sometimes we need it for parenting, and sometimes we need it in marriage, and sometimes we need it in work, uh, but the, the truth is, uh, and I forgot to give you, here's what we have on tap today. Uh, our theology today is this, God's grace is sufficient for today, and, and I think it's easy for us to think about God's grace being sufficient for eternity, God has saved me for eternity, but sometimes we forget that God has given me enough grace for this day, for this moment. So our our theology today is God's grace is sufficient for today. Our application is this, rest in God's grace for today. Rest in that. And then our prayer today will be, God, we praise you for the grace you've supplied for this moment. When we think about God's grace being sufficient for today, it calls to mind for me this text in 2 Corinthians 12. And uh, I, I want to read it to you here, beginning in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 7. Paul speaking about a revelation that apparently he has had, where he's been caught up to the third heaven and seen the glory of God. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't know what the thorn in Paul's flesh was. We don't know what the messenger of Satan was. Uh, I've heard several different arguments about it. The, uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it'd be silly to guess. If you want to know what my guess is, you have to show up Wednesday. Uh, but uh, and we'll be a little bit silly on Wednesday because I'll, 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 I'll manage a guess. But Paul has, has seen this vision. He has seen the glory of God. He, his salvation experience, he encountered Christ in a shining uh, image and a vision of Christ. And Paul, to be kept from becoming arrogant, receives a thorn in his flesh, what he calls a messenger of Satan. 
and he begs God, pleads with God three times to remove it, and God doesn't remove it. And God instead says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. What he's telling Paul is my grace is sufficient for you in this. My grace is sufficient for you in this suffering. My grace is sufficient for you in this thorn in the flesh that you have. My grace is sufficient for you in this messenger of Satan in this moment right here. There's no question that Paul knew that God's grace was sufficient for overthrowing sin. He talks about it. Go read Romans. There's no question that Paul knew that God's grace was sufficient for salvation, for eternity, for righteousness. Paul talks about that. But now what Paul is being confronted with is God's grace for this moment that Paul is going through right now, right here, in this very time. Not a future righteousness, not an actual righteousness, not a future place in glory, but the suffering that Paul is dealing with right now. God is saying, my grace is sufficient for you. I have enough, there is enough in me, God says, there is enough resource in me, there's enough grace in me for even this moment, for even this time. I don't know why it is that it is Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe eternity is such an abstract idea for us. Maybe eternity in our minds is so far away. Maybe the kingdom of heaven is so foreign to us in a concept that for us to think about, uh, like, I don't know, we can kind of just distance it like a fairy tale or something and be like, yeah. And we can talk about eternity and we can talk about salvation. And then people, people go, yeah, but what about right now? Where's God today? You ever encountered somebody who's asked that kind of a question? Okay, great. God is in heaven, and God's going to save us all, and he's going to take us to heaven one day, but where's God now? You ever, you ever met somebody? You ever felt that way? You ever met somebody who felt that way? Like, where's God now? The, the question that they're really asking without knowing that they're asking it is, okay, I can believe in grace for eternity, but where's God's grace now? Where's his mercy now? Where's, provi- where's his provision now? Where's his strength today? It's great that he's going to save me. It's great that the world's going to be made new. It's great that I'll stand before him in righteousness one day. But where is he in the middle of my divorce? Where is he in the middle of my job loss? Where is he in the middle of me not being able to buy groceries this week? Where, it's the last week of the month. Maybe some of you are counting the dollars. By the way, by the way, we don't want you to be counting the dollars. And we haven't said this very often, but we're a church that wants to care for you. So if you're down to your last dollars this week and you're like, man, we don't know how, talk to us. Grab Pierce. He was over here. Grab Micah. He's that guy right here. He's not there now, you know, but like he was the guy that was there, right? You know, like ask me, we want to serve you guys. We take care of each other and, and we want to like, but, but some of us legitimately ask those questions. I'm sick. When it, where's God in my sickness? Where's God in my marriage that's in trouble? Where's God in my kid? Uh, Where's the grace of God in my kid's life where they're struggling and they're having a hard time and they're distanced and they're like, where is God? And what I want us to know is that the God who redeems us and saves us by faith is the God who lavishes, lavishes grace on us even in this moment. Not that the circumstance goes away because it certainly didn't for Paul. But in that weakness that we experience, we can relish in God's grace because it is enough. Where Paul says this, listen to what Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ can be upon me. When Paul comes to the place where he's at the end of himself, that is where God's power is magnified in Paul. 
let me let me put it to you a different way. There's there is. I, I used to do it, so I know it is out there. There's a lot of Christian preaching, including some of my old stuff. Don't listen to any of my old stuff. In fact, it, things are changing for us all the time, so really don't listen to anything more than a year old, probably. <laughs> but uh, but but here's what I here's what I would say to you. There have been plenty of times in my preaching where I've said, here's what you need to do. Here's who you need to be. And every now and then, it, the, the impact I was hoping to have is that people would kind of get fired up, you know, and get, yeah, like charge, you know, storm the gates, you know, like, you know, like run out of the castle, run across the moat of the bad guy's castle, break into their castle, destroy everything, burn it to rubble, cheer, and be like, yay, we're, you know, like just power, you know, like just this. But here's the problem. Inevitably, when, when that's the kind of teaching that comes out of your mouth where you say, you do, you be, you, 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 you. Inevitably, when we fail, because we do, and inevitably when our weakness appears, because it will, now we all go to bed at night feeling like failures. I send people out of sermons going, you know, have fun storming the castle, boys, you know. Um, for those of you, Princess Bride, anyway, you know. Anyway, uh, I, I, I charge you up to go storm the castle, and then when you fail to storm the castle, your heart's broken, and you feel just a little bit smaller and a little bit, you know, less shiny and a little bit. And, and what if, what if instead of that, just said, look, just embrace your weakness, Embrace your brokenness. Embrace all the things that you're not doing well and just know that in that moment, God's strength is sufficient. His grace is enough. Don't, don't you feel like we have enough like requirements in our lives, things we have to do? Don't you feel like there are enough things that have to get done for tomorrow? Don't you feel like there's enough that we're trying to earn or win or accomplish or do or be? Can't we just come to God and let him be? Can't we just come to the place where our weakness, instead of being our shame, like Paul says, is our boast? Because here's where Christ is going to shine. Ryan has come to the end of himself and now relies upon Jesus. The, the Christian life that is done without Christ is not Christian. The Christian life that you can do of your own power is not Christian. There isn't any of this that we own. There isn't any of this that comes out of our strength, our will, that comes from the American dream of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. None of it comes from us. It's Jesus. It's God. It's him. Listen to this. Listen. Uh, look it back at a chapter. I just want to point this out. Look back at chapter, Paul is talking about all the sufferings he went through. Uh, this is one of those things that I would like to talk to you more about if we did like an in-depth thing. The short of it is all of 2 Corinthians, all of it, is Paul kind of ripping the Corinthians for listening to false teachers. And these false teachers have shown up in Corinth, and they're bragging about themselves and how good they are and what great Jews they are, and what great Hebrews they are, and how holy they are. And the Corinthian church is believing them hook, line, and sinker. So Paul does this. They're false teachers. The fake pastors are bragging about themselves. So here's what Paul does. Paul says this beginning in chapter 11. Um, and I'm going to begin in verse 16. Paul says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me like a fool, so that I also can boast a little bit. Remember, these false teachers are bragging about themselves. What I, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but like a fool would. 
Since many boast, these false teachers boast according to the flesh, let me boast also. You gladly bear, you gladly put up with fools being so wise yourselves. But by the way, if you don't think Paul's a little bit sarcastic, you, you just haven't read it with the right tone. <laughs> these Corinthian churches are putting up with foolish teachers. And, and Paul, when he says here, since, uh, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Verse 19, for you gladly bear with fools, people who boast in themselves, being wise yourself. He is not calling the Corinthian church wise. He's saying, you really, you, you put up with fools being so wise yourself. Like, it, there is heavy sarcasm here. Like, this is not a compliment, okay? And then listen to what he says. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. So these teachers, these false teachers, are walking around, and they're putting on airs, and they're devouring them, and they're making the Corinthians their servants, their slaves. And he goes, you put up with this, and Paul says, to my shame, I was too weak for that. Like, Paul's like, I don't put up with that kind of garbage. Like, I don't put up with that. Listen to what he says. But whatever anyone else boasts of, listen to me speak like a fool, I will boast of that same thing. Are those false teachers Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a fool now. With a greater labors, with far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I've received from the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the open sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposed. And apart from all these other things, there is daily on me the pressure and the anxiety and concern for all the churches. Who is weak, Paul says, and am I not weak? Who is made to fall, and am I not indignant? If I boast, so now he's speaking no longer as a fool. If I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever and ever, knows that I am not lying. And then we circle back around to chapter 12. So hear this. This is interesting. I've been robbed. I've been beaten times without number. I've spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been in two shipwrecks. I'm in danger from rivers, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from robbers, in dangers everywhere I go. He says, beaten times without number. And that's a lot to be beaten up so many times you don't remember, right? First grade. A fourth grader hit me, and I shared that story with you before. A fourth grader punched me in the face because I wouldn't show him my, my toy snake that I brought for show and tell. In fourth grade, I had, I had a middle school boy pull a knife on me. In 10th grade, I was swimming laps in the, in the pool. Uh, I was a swimmer in high school, and some dude that didn't like me found a toolbox and started chunking all the tools at my head while I was swimming laps. And, and, and at 18, my dad threw me up against the wall and got in my face drunk and asked me to go outside and fight. Like, I remember all the scuffles I've been in. You know, Paul, Paul's like, man, I don't, I don't even remember how many times I've gotten in scuffles, you know? And, and here's what he says. If I'm going to boast, I'll boast. I'll boast in my weakness. I'll boast in these moments. And then he says, to further his point, he goes, to keep me from being arrogant, a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, now back to chapter 12 where we started, was given to me so that I wouldn't be arrogant, and he goes, I asked God three times to take it away, and he wouldn't. 
And God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. What does he say? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore I boast, so here's the context, I boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And listen to what he says again in verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. Read that as, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with the thorn in my flesh. I am content with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, everything he highlighted in chapter 11. I'm content in these things. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's an interesting thing. Because he's just declared that through his weakness, the strength of God is displayed. But now he says, for when I am weak, then I am truly strong. The, the, the strength of the believer comes not from being a strong individual. The strength of the believer comes from serving a strong God. In my weakness, Paul says, when I've come to the end of me, that's where I'm strongest. Why? Because at the end of you and I, me? At the end of you and me? I don't know, one of them. At the end of us, that's how you do it, right? When you're, when you're texting somebody. I did that yesterday. I was typing up a, a, an email to a client, and I was like, whoa, I don't know the tense of that word. So I changed the whole sentence, just deleted it, changed the sentence so I could use a different word. <laughs> just me? Okay. Two years of college before I dropped out, you know? And it shows. Uh, so Paul says this. Paul says that when we come to the end of us, that is where the strength of God is magnified. It's not, it's not that God suddenly has strength. God is strong. But God's strength is shown in us when we admit this is beyond me. And by the way, Christian, all of it is beyond you and I. All of it. All of it's too hard for us. All of it's impossible for us. All of it's outside of our ability to do. None of us are holy. None of us are righteous. None of our works are, are, are good enough to win the favor of God. Every bit of this, from our salvation to our holiness, to the grace that God gives us for today, to parent, to be a spouse, to do work, to live, to be kind, to be patient, to, to serve God well, to proclaim his name, all of it is beyond us. And every bit of it requires God's grace and his mercy. All of it. The ability to be... A, here, let's... Matthew 6, uh, it's, a, it's a text I love a lot. It's one that you're very familiar with. But in Matthew 6, beginning in about verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The, all these things uh, that, that Jesus is talking about there, he's talking to a group of Jews, Jesus is, and he tells them, look, you're worried about food. You're worried about clothing. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about what they're going to eat. They always have enough. Look at the flowers of the field. They don't worry about what they're dressed in, but they're more beautiful than Solomon in all of his splendor and all of his robes. And he says, your father in heaven, and this is the point that Micah was making a little bit ago, your father in heaven who cares about the flowers and the birds cares more for you. If he's going to clothe the flowers of the field in splendor and he's going to feed the bellies of the sparrows, you've got to know that he cares more about you than the flowers and the birds. He does. While, while in our culture, you're supposed to care the same because our culture is getting really weird. You're supposed to care the exact same about a sparrow as you do about a human. Um, in the Bible, God cares more about you and I, the people he created for his glory, the people he bought for his namesake, right? And so like, so God says to these people, Jesus says to these people, he tells them, he goes, why are you worried about food or clothing? 
Your Father in heaven knows that you need these things. Seek him first, and these things will be supplied to you. Seek him first. Seek God first, and these things will be supplied to you. Does that mean that you won't ever go hungry? No, because Paul says he knows what it is to be hungry. Does that mean your back won't ever be naked? No, Paul says he knows what it means to be naked. But it means that God's grace is sufficient for you in want or plenty, in need or abundance. In Matthew 6, also it says this, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching the Jews how to pray, and he tells them, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. It's a picture from the manna that was provided for the people in the Old Testament. Every morning they would wake up and there'd be manna on the ground. It was enough bread, it was enough food to get them through the day. God equipped them. And and the Bible tells us, actually, in, in Deuteronomy, that the reason he only gave them bread every day was to see if they would rely on him. The reason, the reason he met their needs one day at a time was to make sure that their reliance was upon him. There's an interesting theme in the scripture. The Bible tells us that when the people came into the promised land that God cut off the manna, they didn't need it anymore. They had now their own sustenance in the promised land. They had their own food and their own vineyards. And the Bible tells us that once they got settled and realized they had an abundance, they turned away from God. I'm not saying you can't have an abundance. There are plenty of people in the Bible who were godly people who did. I'm just telling you, it is the tendency of the human heart that once we have enough to rest on our own laurels. And Paul says, I'm okay, I'm good with my weakness. Because in my weakness, God's strength is demonstrated. Most of us, we strive, we fight, we seek to do anything we can to not be weak. Because at the end of the day, if we're honest, we're more interested in magnifying ourselves than we are the God who saves us. And if we really delighted in God more, we would embrace our weakness so that we could then exalt God as strong. How have you made it this far, people will ask, man, by the grace of God. And not just have it be a flippant thing we say, but have it be something we really mean. Our application today is this, rest in God's grace for today. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if you're going through the hardships that Paul went through, probably not. I imagine that for most of us, at some point in our life, Matthew 6 resonates a little bit more clearly. Food and clothing. Your kids' feet growing every three months and they need new shoes, you know? Do you believe, do you know that God has enough grace for your circumstances today? Listen to this. It's a text that I love from 2 Corinthians 1, Paul's introduction to this letter. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, Paul says this uh, about his time in Asia, probably in Ephesus, which was his most difficult stint in ministry. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, he says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our own strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says this, I love this text. We were utterly burdened beyond our own strength. In fact, we believed we had received the sentence of death. They they were so burdened and so persecuted and so hated and in such terrible circumstances, Paul is convinced that death is in store for them. Imminent death. And Paul says, this happened so that we would rest not on our own strength. And listen to how he says it. And I love how he says it because he's intentional with it. But that our, our confidence would rest on God who raises the dead. What does Paul say that he feels like he's facing? I am facing imminent death. And that, 
The purpose of that was so that I would no longer rest on myself, but rest on God who what? Raises the dead. This, this cliche that has worked somehow into Christian culture that says God will not give you more than you can handle is hogwash. I hope you know that. Hogwash is a really delicate way of saying what I really want to say about it. When somebody says to you, God won't give you more than you can handle, they have not read the scripture. Or if they had, they just don't know. <laughs> because Paul was brought to the end of himself for one purpose, that he'd rely on God. The Israelites were given bread daily so that they would rely on God. King Asa faced an army of a million Ethiopians for one reason, that he would rely on God. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he repeatedly asked God to remove, and God didn't remove it for one purpose, that Paul would rely on God. Don't think lightly of this suffering that you're going through. Don't think lightly of this trial you're facing. Don't, don't dismiss it as daily life and just the, this is just part of being a human. Don't, don't think that, the, that your responsibility in this is to fight harder, to dig your heels in, to grit your teeth, to charge the gate. In this, admit your weakness. Whatever this is, admit your weakness and cast your hope upon God whose grace was not only for your salvation and not only for your holiness, but for this moment that you're in right now. We serve a God who raises the dead. Man. You know, in Genesis 22, God told Abraham, he said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, to the place that I'll show you and offer him there as a sacrifice for me. Now, God had told Abraham, hey, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be Isaac, and he's going to bless the whole world. His children and his children's children will bless the whole world. So Abraham gets this instruction from God, go and kill your son. Abraham Mounts the donkey, takes his son along with him, takes him up to the Mount Moriah, lays him on an altar, takes the knife to him, and is prepared to kill his son, not thinking that God is going to stop him from killing his son, but believing that he's going to have to kill his son and that God's going to raise him from the dead. As he's about to slay his son, an angel speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, Abraham, I see that you won't even withhold your son from God. Look, there's a ram in the thicket caught by his horns. Offer that instead. Abraham was not counting on that ram. Abraham was counting on God. Because the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that God would raise his son from the dead. I need you to understand this. When Abraham's marching up that hill looking at his son who says, Dad, we got the fire and we got the wood. Where's the offering? In that moment, Abraham believed with everything in his heart he's about to kill his son. But that before they come down the mountain, God will raise him from the dead. That was Abraham's belief. His faith in God. Abraham's at the end of himself, his only son Isaac, whom he loves, about to be slain by his own hand with the full belief that God will bring him back. Paul says, man, I was brought to the end of myself. I despaired of life itself. I thought we had received the sentence of death. This was so that we would no longer rely on us, but on God. In the whole context of 2 Corinthians, all the false teachers are relying on themselves. All the false teachers are boasting in themselves. A really good indication that you're listening to someone false is when they brag about who they are rather than who Christ is. 
And Paul is telling these guys, listen, you're listening to the false guys, the people who boast and brag in themselves. I'm telling you, I'm at the end of me that the Christian life is about being done and giving up and throwing your hands up in the air and saying, this can't be about me, but must be about Christ. That only then, when I am really weak, will I be strong because then the power of God is at work in me. That God's grace is sufficient for this moment, for this heartache, for this trial, for this sickness, for this economic uh, downturn, for whatever it is, God's grace is enough for this. And that we'd be the kind of people who would rest in God's grace. Let me share one other thing with you. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is passing through Bethany. Bethany is a little city where three siblings live, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the Bible says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. I'm in Luke 10, 38, if you're that fast. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Our application, right? Rest in God's grace for today. Listen to this. Jesus, the Messiah, shows up. Jesus, the Messiah, shows up. And Martha's busy with all the fixings and all the prep work. And Mary's sitting down with Jesus just listening. And Martha gets mad. Hey, Jesus, don't you, do you not even care? that I'm doing all this work while my sister just sits there and does nothing. The short answer is, he goes, no, I don't. <laughs> That's the short answer. I don't care. He's, he's like, she picked right. He said, you're so anxious and so troubled about so many things, but she's done what's best. Some of you might not be worried about your food or your clothing. You're good. Some of you aren't worried about any of the stuff that Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11. No robbers, no rivers, no, time, no beating times without numbers, no day and a night in the open sea. Some of you aren't worried that your life's in jeopardy. Some of you don't feel like you're buffeted by Satan. Maybe some of you, maybe the problem is you're just too busy. I don't know whose approval you're trying to win. I don't know what prize you think you're competing for. Anytime somebody asks you for something, time, a little bit of time, a little bit of rest, a little bit of whatever, no, 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 we don't have the time. No, 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 I'm too busy. No, I've got another thing to do. I like rest. I mean, a lot of times it might be lazy. I haven't figured it out yet, but I like rest. I like a downtime. I love being here with you on Sunday mornings, but you know how I really like to prepare for Sunday mornings? By doing absolutely nothing Friday afternoon and evening. That's it. Family movie night, popcorn and M&Ms, just relax. Be done with everything by about 2 in the afternoon on Saturday so I don't have to think about anything until again Sunday morning. I like that. I need it. But some of us just get so busy. We're so competitive, if not with the world, with ourselves. We've got to do more. We've got to be better. We've got to be stronger. That we kind of default into this Martha setting. You don't have to win anything. You don't have to win. 
It's done. The only prize that matters, life, salvation, has already been bought. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, it's already yours. Just be quiet and sit and learn and rest. You don't have to say yes to everything. We're so worried about, but what will people think? Or, but what about, like, listen, I love, I love that Micah is taking his entire family to go to Colorado for a week. He's waited. They've contemplated it. The boys have school, right? Will you have to come back and do makeup work? Is it worth it? (laughs) It's not? (laughs) You guys get to go rest. Anybody ever just needed rest? You just needed quiet? I like music. I almost always have music on. Almost always. And there will be times that even that's just too much, and I just need quiet. Christian, the same is true in our spiritual life. Quit trying to earn it and just be quiet. Rest. Rest in the grace that God has supplied for today. Some of you are burdened to worry. Worry about food, worry about clothing, worried about bills. Don't carry that worry. Let us help you. Some of you are burdened about death. Just burdened. Am I at the end? Is this over? Like, what, what am I even doing, like, anymore? Some of you are burdened by busyness. But each of you who has put faith in Christ have been set free by that grace. Man, there is glory, hear me, there is glory in our weakness. Because the reason we can glory in our weakness is because in that moment, the glorious strength of God is displayed. It's okay to not be enough. You never were. And God's not keeping score. Rest in the grace for today. Whatever the thing is, it'll still be there tomorrow. And let God help you get through it then too. But there's grace for right now. For your marriage, for your kids, for your job, for just your busy life, there is grace for this moment. There's the $700 for the teeth, (laughs) There's the escape to Colorado. There's health in this life or the next. Grace, it's there for you. The excellence of grace doesn't, isn't limited just to salvation, but it includes, it includes the grace we need for this moment. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time now to pray. And our prayer today is another prayer of praise, as it has been all month. And it's this, God, we praise you for the grace you've supplied for this moment. But where I want us to start in our prayer time this morning is this. Here's where I want us to start in our prayer time today. If you're burdened by worry, burdened about provision, burdened about food and clothing and bills and how you're going to make it through the end of this week, you're burdened by persecution and troubles and strife or something 
like the thorn in your side that you just can't seem to shake free from, if you're burdened by the busyness, just life of busyness, would you just take a moment and would you just say, God, help me to remember you've set me free. Help me to remember that you've set me free by your grace from these burdens. That I don't have to worry. I don't have to be fearful. I don't have to be overwhelmed. I don't have to keep going and driving and doing. I can rest in your grace. Would you just pray that? That God would remind you that you've been set free from those burdens. God, I, I know that it's easy for us to, uh, to rest in you for our salvation, but difficult for us to rest in you for today. I thank you that your grace is enough. It's enough to, to make us spotless, and without blame, without blemish, without any, any wrinkle or any such thing that we would stand before you holy and righteous one day. Your grace is enough to overthrow sin's power. Your grace is enough to Make us holy and beloved and children of God. And God, your grace is enough for right now. For the way our hearts are broken. For the heartache we're carrying with us. For the sorrow we're carrying with us. For the worry that we're carrying with us. For the fear that we're carrying with us. For the weight of responsibility that we carry with us. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough to heal our marriage. Your grace is enough for our kids to grow up to know you. Your grace is enough to meet our needs. Your grace is enough. And we praise you for that. We thank you, God, that that's true. Help us to not ever forget it. To carry it with us, not just in this moment, but every moment of every day for the next week and for as long as we draw breath. As you continue to pray, would you do this? Would you just take a moment to praise God for the gracious nature that he has? Remember that Isaiah tells us that he is, he longs to be gracious to you. Would you just praise God for the grace that he has supplied in this moment? God, we praise you for the grace that you've supplied for this moment right here, right now. Would you take a moment to thank God for that? <laughs> 